TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind. Welcome to Minnesota Sports Rewind, where we do deep dives into prominent Minnesota sports events like games and trades, moments, anything you can think of. My name is Phil Mackey, and this episode is all about the Johan Santana trade. Gentlemen, January 29th, 2008. Our crew for this episode, my co-host on Mackey and Judd with Rami, Judd Zolgad, and our Scornorth Twins analyst, Derek Wetmore. And on January 29th, 2008, that was the day... The Minnesota Twins traded, for my money anyway, the greatest pitcher in franchise history to the New York Mets for Carlos Gomez, Philip Umber, Kevin Mulvey, and Deolis Guerra. Uh, quite, quite the quartet Ugh. of prospects. Those are some they, names. Yeah. Those are some names. <laughs> More painful now than ever. Blast from the past. So before we get into the standard key questions on Minnesota Sports Rewind here, and there's a bunch of great questions and tentacles off of this, I just want to go through and set the scene for the lead up to the trade and then just some of the fallout from the trade. You guys jump in here. I just want to kind of go through a little chronological series of events here, uh, starting with the fact that the Twins were coming off four division titles, but 2007 was the year before they traded Johan Santana. That was kind of a buzzkill season in which they finished 79-83. and 83. Uh, That was their first below 500 season in seven years, and... That combined with uh, the fact that they didn't have a new stadium deal in place yet. They had just made the decision to say goodbye to Tory Hunter. Um, they just they didn't have enough money coming in to keep everybody. And so they had to make a decision. We can either take a bath and lose money or pick and choose the players that uh, we as a franchise want to hang on to. So they had... Just it was it was sort of a weird transition period in that they thought they were going to get a new stadium. It wasn't official yet. They were pushing for it. Um, it was sort of the end of an era, and then they were rebuilding for uh, for a future era. And Johan was coming off maybe one of the best four year stretches in recent MLB history when he won two Cy Young awards. Should have been three. Led the league in strikeouts three times. Uh, ERA title twice. And to put a cherry on top of all of that setup. Terry Ryan retired as general manager in October of 2007, saying, here you go, Billy Boy, biggest trade in franchise history. It's all you. (laughs) My hand-picked successor is going to be the one to make this deal, is what he said at the time. There's so many tentacles off of this trade. I almost don't know where to start, but I got to say, I thought of this from a Twins perspective as I was diving in, diving in, and the more I looked through it, the more I'm like, huh. This trade sucked for the Mets, too. <laughs> wow. It's like they were a basically knocking on the door of the World Series. I think it was 2006, I want to say, that that Mets team was just awesome. 97 wins. Go to a Game 7 in the NLCS. It was, I think it was the Cardinals that knocked them mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that was a Mets team ready to go, and they traded for their ace. And nothing happened after that. I, I went back two thousand. Uh, so seven was the year before the trade. Two thousand eight Mets. They finished in second in the NL East, eighty nine wins. Oh nine, they went in the toilet, seventy wins. Two thousand ten, seventy nine wins, fourth place in the NL East. Both of those years, and then you know how the rest of Johan's career unfolds. Sad story, really, on both sides of the fence. From the Twins' perspective, though, I think we need to go take the date of the trade and go back approximately ten years before that. Because the Santana trade, if you guys recall, was also all about expectations of return, right? 
which is which is an acceptance at that time by many, not all, that the Minnesota Twins in some ways were going to lose players. Yeah. They just were. And that they cultivated these players and, and developed them into potential star players or very good players and then traded them for a return that was, oh, my gosh, fantastic. Sure. You roll it over. Yep. So I take you back to February 6, 1998. Chuck Knobloch signs an extension here. The team is awful. And Chuck finally goes to Terry Ryan and says, get me out of here. I can't do this. Hmm. I want out. February 6, 98. The Yankees and Twins make a trade that returns Buck Buchanan. Played it in the big leagues. Not great, but he played. Christian Guzman. Turned into a very serviceable, really good for a while shortstop. He was like a short-term franchise shortstop. Absolutely. Eric Milton turned out to be very good. Yep. Uh, a pitcher by the name of Danny Moda who didn't make it and cash. But that trade created an expectation of, oh, if the Twins are going to lose these players, but they're going to get all of this in return, it's really good. Followed up by, of course, November 14, 2003. Joe Mauer's your catcher. A.J. Pruszynski is going to be traded. And Terry goes to the Giants, and the Giants, for one year of A.J. Pruszynski, send the Twins. Boof Bonzer, not bad, right? Frankie Liriano, stud, really not bad. Joe Nathan, all-time Twins closer. So I think to get now to the Santana trade, we're talking about by now, hey, Bill Smith. Do the same. And in Bill Smith's defense, I will say this. I think by the time the Santana trade is made, the the wiseness of clubs has changed. And so you're still going to get a good trade, you hope. But I think our expectation was, okay, Knobloch, Przinsky, Santana, do it again. And other teams are like, whoa, 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 we'll give you something. But we are not going to uh, repeat the mistake that the Giants clearly made in Przinsky, which is sending a haul to the Twins for, again, I believe, guys, one year yes. in San Francisco, Przinsky. I love that backdrop because that, that I'm just trying to put myself, uh, myself in the shoes of Phil Mackey in 2007, 2008. And, and, and one, two things I distinctly remember. Discovering MLBTradeRumors.com that winter was number one. And number two... <laughs> Was everything you just said, which is, man, like it sucks that the Twins have to trade Johan Santana or that they're making the decision to trade him. Uh, part of it was age. He's 29 years old, and he wound up actually signing a six-year, $137 million contract. Uh, was really good for the first three years. Uh, third in Cy Young voting. He led the league in ERA. The next year, he was an all-star. Then he threw a no-hitter the year after that. He was really good for three years. A little bit of injury stuff. And then it was a disaster the last three years with injuries. But, but I kept thinking leading up to the trade— the twins dominate these trades. This is this is what they do. They just fleece teams. Yeah. They're gonna get, you know. And, and I was I was in like a super deep fantasy baseball league <laughs> yeah, at the time. Too. So, here, yes. so I knew who Clayton Kershaw was at the time. I knew who we're gonna go through some of these names, but oh, yeah. all these stud minor leaguers, I knew who they were because I played geek, you know, thirty man roster fantasy baseball. But now that we know, now that all of the names that were involved, because this is now eleven years ago. All of these names have gone through their careers. It's so much fun to look back <laughs> and see. I actually so here's um, just a little more backdrop, and then this is a good segue to the to the first key question. All right, so the twins 
got nothing out of Umber, Mulvey, and Dale Guerra. In fact, Dale Guerra is the only one of those three pitchers that's even still in the league. He pitched like three games for the Brewers or something last year. And so he's still kind of bumming around. He's 30 years old. Um, Johan Santana goes to the Mets, uh, has three pretty decent years. Uh, and over that six-year stretch for the Twins, it was kind of a mixed bag. So like the six years that they that they would have had Johan if they had you know, done the same thing the Mets did. 2008, they were competitive again. They went to a game 163. They lost it to the White Sox. 09, 2010, they make the playoffs, get smoked by the Yankees. And then 2011 through 2013, much like Johan was a disaster and injured, the Twins were a disaster with injuries too. But key question number one for you guys, okay? What if the Twins would have landed one of the other rumored packages? <laughs> I went into the archives of MLBTradeRumors.com, and I just want to do some readings for you here, because this was when Tim Durkis launched the site. He would go through. It was like Twitter before Twitter was popular. Winter meetings, and he's just going through all the different websites, and he's watching Baseball Tonight on ESPN, and he's watching John Heyman on MLB Network or whatever, and he's just, like, typing updates on this trade every 10 minutes. <laughs> this is full torture, by the way. Go back and look at what might have happened or what could have happened. Yes. Knowing what did happen, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty brutal for Twins fans. This was as close to internet sports, Minnesota sports cocaine as you can possibly get. Like, this was as much fun as Twitter is now for in-the-moment sporting events. MLB Trade Rumors in 2007, 2008, if you had dis- – and I think I just discovered it by doing a Google search for, like, Johan Santana trade – and boom, what's this website? Oh my God, there's a website called MLB Trade Rumors. It's my new homepage for the it's next just, 12 it's years. updated every day. This is amazing. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to do a reading here. This is, this is from December 2nd, 2007 at 8.45 a.m. When we left off last night, the Twins and the Yankees were still haggling over the third player in the Johan Santana trade. So this is two months before the trade actually goes down. Right. And the Twins and the Yankees, Bill Smith and Brian Cashman at the time? I think. I think it was Brian Cashman, yeah. Are haggling over prospects. And that's the other thing. The tentacle to this story is this dragged out forever. Yes. If you guys recall, this oh, was yeah. going on and on and on. Like and three months. At some point in time, you're like, Billy, are you going to make the deal? So here's, here's, what, here's the reading. The Twins wanted Alan Horn or Austin Jackson. Austin Jackson had a couple of decent seasons, sure. but uh, Alan Horn became nothing. According to John Heyman. Now comes word from Tyler Kepner that those two are considered untouchable in the deal by the Yankees. Can't lose Alan Horn. Instead, Dellen, instead Dellen Batansis, okay. Ian Kennedy, and Jose Tabata round out the five that they will not okay that they will not include as the third player. Okay. Uh, it's said that the Yankees will turn to Dan Heron if they don't reach an agreement with the Twins today or tomorrow. The Twins still like Jacoby Ellsbury more than Phil Hughes, so they're trying to get the Red Sox to replace Coco Crisp with him in their offer. Wow, wow. And that's where the the Yankees did bail, correct? The Yankees They uh, bailed pretty quickly after that because Bill wouldn't make the trade. So uh, a a few more updates here, just going through the MLB Trademarks timeline. Buster Only is reporting that the Red Sox will include Jacoby Ellsbury in their offer, but they would pull John Lester out of it. So it's either Lester or Ellsbury. Basically, the Twins can have one or the other. Um, uh, Only doesn't say whether Clay Buckholtz, Jacoby Ellsbury, is possible. And then the other name was Justin Masterson that kept floating around. So basically, the Twins had their option two months before they made the trade of... A Melky Cabrera, Phil Hughes, and then player number three deal. Mm-hmm. And at the time, like people might laugh at the Phil Hughes thing now, but because Phil Hughes came and went. 
Phil Hughes was legitimately like the second or third best pitching prospect in baseball at the time, behind Clayton Kershaw and maybe somebody else. And then won an important game against the Twins in the playoffs. Uh, yes, he did. Years 2009, later. yeah. yeah. Uh, and then on the Red Sox front, it was it was either a Jacoby Ellsbury package with Justin Masterson and maybe a couple others, or a John Lester package with maybe a Justin Masterson and veteran Coco Crisp. Yep. So <laughs> if the Twins would have landed, let's let's just stay with the because the Red Sox deal we can agree would have been like the deal, right? For sure. If they would have landed, now mind you, this was going into 2008, nine, ten, where they they became competitive again without Johan. If they would have landed Jacoby Ellsbury and or John Lester, how do you think things would have played out like the next three to five years? Boy. At that point in time, pretty doggone well, I right? I mean, if it's and, you win the 2010 World Series. Let's say it's or. So let's say you either get – Jacoby Ellsbury was a stud for like six I think six you years. could even make the case that if you got Lester and, – and let's just say for the sake of this show that – their careers play out exactly the same, right? So John Lester is a star. He has a couple amazing seasons, and then just kind of he hangs around for a long time. Ellsbury has a couple star years, but mostly you'd say like unfulfilled promise of those superstar years. So if John Lester is on the Twins pitching staff in 2010, I think that's a World Series caliber team. You look at the lineup that they ran out that year. Yeah. If everything. No whammies, no whammies. It's a 94-win Twins team. You had John Lester to the top of that thing. I went back just as a further uh, torture exercise, guys. You might know these off the top of your head. You might have the order wrong, whatever. The 2010 playoff rotation that went into Yankee Stadium and got swept in the ALDS. You remember the three guys who made the starts for him? I, know, I have them here. I, I know who the third guy was. Yeah, it you was, do. It was Brian Dunsing. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Dunsing started game, uh, game three. Carl Pavano started Game 2, and Frankie Liriano, who wasn't quite the same Liriano from 2006, started Game 1 of 2010. If instead that goes Lester, Liriano, Pavano, I just yeah. question mark, is that and, a different and series? And to be clear, Lester in 2010, Lester was one of the like four best pitchers in baseball in 2010. He, he would have he been a stud, incredible. Yeah. The yeah. problem, though, was that Bill, and and this is probably where ultimately in the Knobloch trade and the um, Przinsky trade, Terry, for all Terry's patience, Terry saw an offer he liked and said, bang, it's done. Billy wouldn't pull the trigger. And as I recall, what happened back then then was the, the Yankees, as the report said accurately, basically said, okay, we're done. We're Ultimatum. out. So now they're out. Wow. The Red Sox basically said, you've got to decide. And Billy couldn't. And we, we didn't – I think we all thought that at the time – Billy Smith's possibly driving the best deal that, that he can. Good for him. Try He's to trying to get them all. Exactly yeah. right. But the problem yeah. was teams are bailing. And so you're going through Yankees. Pretty good offer. Dead. Red Sox. Really good offer. We got to get out. Mm. And so so I think what we probably didn't appreciate, but now that you go back and look at the potential offers and the time span that this encapsulated, too, because for a trade, this is a long time span, what he was doing was losing players and suitors. Yes. And so you are now backing into the Mets being like, I guess we'll do this, but this is it. And instead of Billy saying, oh, no, I got the Red Sox on line one, the Yankees on line two, because that started with, as I recall as well, the Yankees and Mets being wisely mm-hmm. leveraged by the Twins. Yep. And the Twins are like, 
do you want to be on the back page of the post or do you? <laughs> Which is a great play, but you've got to then make the trade. Well, that's the thing. I wonder how what the trade dynamic was like. I think is it became it, a hostage is crisis, it, basically. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. Santana to, held hostage. Not to over-dramatize it or hey, anything. Hey, for Minnesota sports, it was a big deal, okay? <laughs> okay, so you pick up the phone and you're like, hey, I just got off the horn with the Boston Red Sox Correct. and they're willing to put John Lester in the trade. I don't know why it's like 1924 now. <laughs> I was going to say it was Bill Smith. News headline. <laughs> yeah, the Minnesota <laughs> Twins looking to trade their A-stunning pitcher. I've got my derby cap on and my cane out. So you call them back and you're like, hey, I got the Red Sox. They just said Lester's in. Here's the package. Can you top that? You're calling back and forth and stuff. Nowadays, is it just a group text? Hey, at Mets, Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, White Sox, Cubs. Johan, best package. Here it is. Can you top this in 24 hours? Call me back. Yes. Like, all right. You can put their feet to the fire. As I recall, this is obviously memories of faulty faculty, but as I recall, it unraveled as you tried to set up that bidding war you're talking about, Judd. So obviously, it's super easy, you know, 12 years later to be like, well, why wouldn't you have just, you know, Billy's in this mode of trying to get the best deal. He's got the best pitcher in baseball coming off. Uh, he's in his prime. He's coming off a four-year run. So he's, he's trying to maximize the biggest trade in franchise history as a first-time GM. And so I, I get why he's not just going to pull the trigger on the first deal. But when you have at the baseball winter meetings, and this is why it's it's a second guess, but like, dude, if, if if we were in the room at the time, and I remember like sitting in my apartment just looking at these updates, like, wait, wait, it's up to the twins to say yes to this? What? So your move, twins. So if if a team offers you their best starting pitcher prospect and or their best center fielder prospect, and then other pieces like. In, in his prime, Coco Crisp, who was a really good player at the time, or Melky Cabrera, you know, what are you doing? Like, what are you what are you waiting for if you're not if if you're going to get someone's best something at a premium position and then other things to go with it? What else would you be waiting for? I think the key though is is one part of the art of the baseball or sports trade is also knowing when to say it's on, let's do it. And you know what, Bill, though? I mean, in retrospect, now we know that Billy was a behind-the-scenes guy, not really a baseball guy. I mean, he did a great job of designing the spring training things in Fort Myers. But there you can sit down with blueprints for months and be like, okay, let's move the kitchen over here. No, let's have the kitchen there. And I think that this was was probably a deal where Billy had to go to his baseball people and be like— all right, we need to take one, and we probably need to do it in the next two days. And, and they had just lost probably their best eye for talent, right, in Terry Ryan. And he was yeah. not – now, Terry – I don't know how involved Terry would have been that winter, but Terry was still involved throughout the Bill Smith just as kind of a – Sure, but – He was like in the hotel room at for, the winter meetings. You step down for burnout. You're not getting on the phone every I bet half Terry hour. Backed, I bet you're two right. Later, I bet yeah. Terry backed off because mm-hmm. Terry, I think, was very empowering – and if he had shown back up and been like, hey, Billy, I'll make this trade for right. you, How's that look? what's that saying at the time? Yep, so just exactly. the, the final recap from MLBTradeRumors.com. This was, this was the day after the trade was agreed upon from, uh, from Tim Durkis. He said, if Bill Smith had taken the Yankees' best offer, he'd have an MLB-ready pitcher who was very recently regarded as the game's best starting prospect in Phil Hughes. He'd also have a solid regular center fielder in Melky Cabrera, and the Twins would have gotten a couple upside players on top of it. Boston's top offer was better as well. <laughs> The the twins would have filled center field, shortstop, and closer needs immediately with Jacoby Ellsbury, oh. Jed Lowry. That's right, Jed yeah, Lowry was, in was the deal, in trade, yeah. and Justin Masterson. So here's oh, here's key question number two. Okay, so I think I think if John Lester is in your starting rotation, 
in 2009 and 2010. I think you beat the Yankees in one of those years. I do. I, I don't think you beat them in both. I don't know if you win the World Series, but I think because 2010, Francisco Liriano was really, really good. He was sort of back to almost his old self in a lot of ways, pitched a full season, and then he dropped off the planet again. But let me turn the question around this way. If the Twins had signed Johan Santana to a six-year contract extension, not that there was any chance that they would have because, again, they didn't have the new stadium yet, but if they had matched the Mets' offer and kept Johan Santana, and he, and he was a stud for those first three years in, in New York, and then his shoulder gave out. So you get stud Johan Santana in 2008, 9, and 10, who's better than John Lester for sure in that first year. How do those seasons play out differently? Well, it- in 2008, you lost Game 163 to the White Sox. That was the Jim Tomey bomb to deep center field that I think went. In, we didn't have stat cast measurements you, back then. You wouldn't have gone to a Game 163, in theory, if Johan was starting over like Blackburn in sure. your rotation. You, you, right? prob- you probably just win that division outright. Yep. But yeah, we didn't have stat cast back then to measure that Tomey home run, but I think it was something like 779 <laughs> feet to dead central, and they lost one nothing to the White Sox, missed the playoffs. The year after that was the Game 163 we all like to talk about. That was a heavyweight fight for the ages, like one of the best tie-breaking do-or-die games in baseball history, I'm sure. Uh, They probably don't need to play that game against the Tigers if they have Johan in their staff that year. And then 2010, I already said it. I mean, that is if that's John Lester in 2010 or Johan Santana at his peak— I mean, that's a World Series caliber roster. You just look at it on paper. It is, I don't know how it would have played out with the Yankees. Of course, people are going to shoot back with the Yankees Twins curse. In terms of talent on paper, that 2010 Twins team is good enough to win the World Series with a healthy, effective Johan Santana. Mm -hmm. What could have been? Clear cut ace then, too. Yeah. Which you didn't really have, right? Um, Yeah, I mean, this whole thing. Now, in. Retrospect, too, if you went back and redid this, I wonder what Santana, if he would have gone, I mean, if the Twins had gone, I don't know, four or five years, and because he did go to, he he was still uh, good his first three years, or at least two of those three years, first three years with the Mets, but he did go to a what I would call dysfunctional franchise, which you thought might be turning a corner in the Mets at the time and definitely didn't necessarily mm. turn mm-hmm. a corner. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you could have got him on a four-year deal or something like that and and said, because he was, what, 30 or 29, so he was not a young man at the time. But, yeah, the whole thing, the whole picture with Santana, if he had stayed here for three more years, does look completely different, and you now have a stabilizing force yeah. on that mound. Well, and guys, trades go differently today than they did Absolutely. then. I don't even remember off the top of my head. It, let me back this up. When you're making a trade in 2019-2020, what, what is the first thing we talk about? We talk about talent. What is the second thing front offices always talk about? Years of control. How many years do we get this guy for? Am I inheriting a big contract, or is he an arbitration player? Do I get him for one more season, one and a half, if it's a trade deadline move? Is it three years, four years of team control? And that is such a significant influence on the value of players today that it was almost like I don't even remember what the situation was with Santana. I think it was one more year, and they were going to lose him to free agency. Yes. So it's like trade him now or go into yeah, the year and lose him for the nothing. Extra year if you're the Mets or the year. If you today got offered, to your point, Phil, a stud starting pitching prospect ready to pop or a center fielder that you think is going to be a big leaguer for sure, and you're trading one year of a player, like 
30 out of 30 teams make that trade today. It's just crazy how much it's changed. The Red Sox offer that you just gave, Phil, in 2020 does not happen. There's no way. Not right, they that, don't even offer that, it. No, no way. They right. might offer one piece. Prospects now, it's changed so much. But it's funny that, in retrospect, Billy might have taken the one offer that you might get now. Carlos Gomez. Sure, that's like a 2020 trade. It really yeah, is. Yes. But the but I think that the Red Sox offer for sure, and potentially the Yankees offer right now, does not happen. Yeah. Next key question, okay? Should Johan Santana be a Hall of Famer? Baseball Hall of Famer? A baseball, a Major League Baseball Hall of Famer. What do you think, Judd? Uh, we, we actually went through this exercise a few years ago or a year ago on the old Mackie and Judd show. And after doing research on it definitively, I can make an argument that he should be. I can also make an argument that he, that his career parallels Sandy Koufax is as close as you could possibly get. That the short-term burst of greatness is so great um, th- that he's basically... He is. Uh, he has demerits against him because one, he does not have a championship. Okay, I sort of get that one, but he also has the weird demerit against him by the writers, where they look at. But did you do it for fifteen years? Did you do it for eighteen years? Did you do it for twelve years? But if you take Santana's burst of greatness and Colfax, who I believe called it quits at a, a relatively young age in what nineteen sixty six thirty at thirty. Okay, uh, it is very very close. It is very, very close. And so I'm not trying to sit here and say unequivocally he belongs in Cooperstown, but there is a very good case to be made that that I believe he dropped off the ballot the first time around, right? Yeah, he's, he's less no, than 5% he's, he's no he dropped off the ballot, ballot. which is a, it's I a can, crime. I can make an easy case that that is ridiculous and that you could make the argument that Johan Santana should be in the Hall of Fame. Modern Era Ballot 2028. Just ten short but years. How does he drop? How does he drop off the first time? It's, that to me is ridiculous. I'm, I'm with Phil on that. In part, I think it's because there are so many qualified players right now, and you get they limit themselves to ten votes, right? So they're you know they're trying to get guys through, and if they don't think Santana's gonna make it, there aren't a lot of keep him on the ballot votes these days, just because of how crowded the field is, and we got to figure out what to do with the PED guys, and there's just a big influx of. Hall of Fame-ish talent coming through the pipeline right now that, unfortunately, guys like that do slip off the ballot. Um, Phil, I don't think that Johan Santana is a Major League Hall of Famer because I set a higher bar than most. I want the Hall of Fame to be smaller than it is. Like I think there are too many players in it right now. I want it to be—it's it's already elite. Obviously, it's a club all on its own, but I want it to be more elite— <laughs> And so borderline cases, my sort of sniff test, now I go deeper than this and I'll go into the numbers and we could talk about all that stuff and that's fun for me, but my sniff test is if you have to ask, you're not a Hall of Famer. See, this this is where, okay, and if, and if you want to, if you want to you know, take some guys out of the room and make it more exclusive, then that's cool and that I would probably have to do a little more research to fight you on that grounds, but I look at... Some of the guys that are already in the Hall of Fame right now, and I'll take one from Johan's era. Mike Mussina is a Hall of Famer. He just got in, what, a year or two ago? Uh, Mike Mussina is only a Hall of Famer because of longevity. He was really good for a long time, but he was never considered the best pitcher in baseball at any time. I just went through, too. Mike Mussina, this guy's a Hall of Famer, never had a Cy Young Award, never led the league in ERA, Pitched for like 20 years, never led the league in ERA, never led the league in strikeouts. Uh, 
at any time there were three or four Pedro Martinez's or Randy Johnson's or Johan Santana's or Roy Halladay's or Kurt Schilling's that were just better at their peak than Mike Messina was. But we reward longevity more than we re- uh, more than we reward peak flashes of greatness. Yep. And Judd brought up Sandy Koufax, yep. okay? And so, you know, if you just if you go apples to apples without considering the era, yes, yeah, Sandy Koufax had better ERAs in certain years, but that was also more of a dead ball era where the league average ERA was lower. If you want to look at, for instance, ERA average relative to the league, uh, Sandy Koufax for his career had an ERA plus of 131. Johan Santana had an ERA plus of 136, which is better. 136 is better than one. So Johan Santana's career ERA relative to his era and the league was better than Sandy Koufax's. Sandy Koufax had six peak years. It was basically the last six years of his career is when he was among the best starting pitchers or the best in baseball. Johan's peak was nine years. People forget that. They think, oh, it was like a five-year peak. No. Johan Santana was an elite starter-reliever combo, which, by the way, we would laud that right now. Josh, yeah, he's, he was, he yeah, was like right. Josh Hader before Josh Hader and made a bunch of starts in 2002 and 2003 was one of the best strikeout pitchers in baseball that was deployed in a very modern way 15 years ago. And then from that point forward, he was just flat out one of the best starting pitchers in baseball for for seven straight years. And he can't get out of the gate in the in the first ballot? It's ridiculous. What's not fair is you know as well as I do that, that if um, instead of going to the Twins in the Rule 5 draft the year he did, if that had been the time that he became a Met or Yankee, and he had spent eight seasons on the East Coast pitching. He's in Cooperstown. Maybe not today, but he's in. He's in. And heck, you know what? If Sandy Colfax, as great as Colfax was, if Sandy Colfax had pitched for the Twins, I don't know he's in. And now, I will argue and and go back, back and forth on championships, because I do think that sure. they, they color how people yeah, vote and think. Colfax and I has think that's three fair. Yeah. But I don't think it, it's fair that I can unequivocally say in my mind that if uh, Johan Santana had been a Met and then and then at the tail end ends up a twin, he's in Cooperstown. That's fascinating. It's fascinating. and I, I really think, believe it to be true. I think we're stripping away that bias today, but I can't argue that it existed 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's fascinating. If Mike Mussina, to Phil's point, sure. if Mike Mussina had spent the majority of his career as a Milwaukee Brewer and then became a twin, do you think there's any chance? No. He's a Hall of Fame Probably doesn't have the postseason track record then to lean on. And he was an Oriole when that was cool. So so that changes it, too. Um, I've looked up baseball reference for you here, Phil. uh, Maybe it's your second favorite website now that MLB Trade Rumors is in your life. Uh, Now I just follow follow MLB Trade Rumors on Twitter. So So I looked up, and one of the things that... uh, I look to for Hall of Fames is like what what was that peak that you're talking about? And so there's this there's this stat that takes your what were your best seven years by wins above replacement and lumps them all together. What was your war seven? Yeah, does that make sense? Like you're you're taking your peak years, mm-hmm. so we're stripping out the Johnny Damons of the world who just you know who play forever and ever and ever and have a bunch of hits and that's awesome and great. But like, were you ever even the best player in your league? Probably not. And this is not an assassination of uh, Johnny Damon's Hall of yeah, Fame. Yeah, that was a dri- that was but, an unnecessary yeah, drive by of Johnny Damon there. Geez, I sort of liked it actually. Yeah. <laughs> Unfrozen caveman lawyer Johnny guy, Damon. Cut your hair, huh? The guy who had a great career and of course involves World Series and stuff. But I was just making the longevity point. Sorry, Johnny Damon. Um, 
War 7 is fascinating because a guy you talked about is pretty prominently featured here. So I looked up the pitchers all time. Who has the best War 7? Walter Johnson. <laughs> Excuse me, Walter Johnson. The big train. Big train. <laughs> Former twin. That's, That's all I know. Yeah, in a roundabout Former twin. Take that. <laughs> we get to own that. Take that, East Coast bias. Uh, Cy Young is number two. I won't bore you with the list, although there are some fascinating names on here. Kid Nichols, Christy Mathewson, Old Haas Radborn. Part, part of that, by the way, like, like with these old timers, <laughs> this is why it's skewed. You rack up wins above replacement. The part of the formula is how often, how many innings, right? How much? Like it's it's volume of innings for sure, and quality of performance. And Cy Young and Walter Johnson were pitching like back to back games of a doubleheader in sure. 1915 or 1920, which you know people laud that era of baseball, right? Oh man, these guys used to pitch till their arm fell off. Okay, if Cy Young faced Aaron Judge. In his 18th inning of work, second game of a doubleheader, what do you think happens? Jack like, Morris someone takes gets Cy Young. murdered in the left field bleachers. Blylevin takes Cy Young, too. That's what I think happens. Are you calling so, today's anyways. pitcher soft, Phil? Um, go on down this list and you'll find an interesting, uh, I thought it was interesting anyways, takeaway. Again, we're talking about your best seven seasons in wins above replacement according to baseball reference. As we get on down towards the list here, Jim Palmer, 47 and some change. Sandy Koufax, 46. Johan Santana, 45. Don Drysdale, 44 and some change. Mike Messina, 44 and some change. Tom Glavin, Dizzy Dean. I'll I'll skip all the rest of this. But it's fascinating, the company that he keeps, and yet... Hall of Fame company. It's That's right. That's right. Tail end of Hall of Fame company. And I am just... The only reason I draw this line is because I am for... Like there have been some people who've gotten in in recent years that I'm like ah I don't know yeah. this makes the Hall of Fame a little worse for me. If the Twins win a one World Series with Santana on the roster, oh, how, how much does that change the discussion that we're having right now? Absolutely changes it because then those local ads that you guys remember well, the uh, Johan Santana's driving the car and Joe Nathan's sitting shotgun, yeah. and he's like slamming on the brakes and pumping the brakes, and Joe Nathan's going to be sick. He's like, all you do is change speeds, man. Let me drive. He's like, no, man, all you do is drive fast. Those commercials are national commercials if Johan Santana's got one of these, a ring on his finger. And it's just, it's too bad, but marketing does play into this to Judd's point. I do wonder... If they, if they win one, let's say 2006 pays off, right? Right. Which I mean, that easily, was the year. Easily could have and should have. Yes. Johan Santana, Francisco Liriano doesn't get hurt. Brad Radke. Yeah. And you win a World Series that year with that lineup, that team. The careers of all of those players on that roster change. Yeah, it is, man. It's it's actually pretty amazing that they didn't do more, that they didn't get to a World Series. The fact that they only have one playoff series victory in that era of so much talent. I mean, they... They had seasons, 2006 is the great example, where they had the best pitcher, the best pure hitter, maybe the best power hitter in Justin Morneau for, like, 2010 he was the best power hitter. They didn't have Johan that year. And then they had the best defensive center fielder on those same teams, maybe the best closer not named Mariana Rivera. And they couldn't get out of the first round of the playoffs. Next key question. we got to move along here. Right? Yeah, Next key question. It's amazing. Did the Twins really whiff? Did Bill Smith really whiff on Carlos Gomez? We we give I'm going to defend Bill Smith here for a second, okay? Because the the whole theme of this is obviously the Red Sox package, the Yankees package. Those are much better packages uh, for for trade return. And we and we look at the what the Twins got from the Mets for Johan Santana, and we say, oh my God, just a heaping pile of garbage. And you know, Carlos Gomez was the headliner, and he did nothing with the Twins. And 
the Twins wound up essentially trading Carlos Gomez. They they wound up turning Johan Santana into Jim Hoey in a lot of ways because it was it was Johan Santana for Carlos Gomez and then Gomez for Jay Jay Hardy and then they sold Lowan Hardy and they got Jim Hoey. So they really got Jim Hoey, yeah, Kevin Mulvey, uh, yeah, Daly Scarra, Philip Umber. Yes, but that's a little revisionist history. But I, I, I can see keep your going point. too because I <laughs> please don't. There's enough scar tissue left over. But but in terms of pure talent and and peak potential. Carlos Gomez put together a stretch two years after he left the Twins, granted, okay, so mistiming on the trade, where he was one of the best players in baseball for like three years. This guy stole, there was a season in 2013 where he stole 40 bases, he hit 24 home runs, uh, he batted in the middle of the lineup for the Brewers, he was one of the best defensive, he won the gold glove in center field in 2013. So for a three or four year period, he was one of the best players in baseball. Uh, and then his career kind of went sideways, and he had some injury issues. So, so I, I, all the, the the only point I'm making here is Bill Smith wasn't wrong about Carlos Gomez. They just didn't fertilize him properly, I guess, in the two years that he was here. They mishandled him, and they should have sent him down when they kept him up. And then they sold low on him, and it was just kind of a disaster. So I've found something online today about all of the trades that that came from this and you know players being spun oh, off from this I love trade. these. It says with all the trades that happened involving the players in the Santana trade and then the guys that came back from the Mets as well as JJ Hardy getting traded out of Minnesota. This trade essentially boils down to Johan Santana for pitchers Brett Jacobson, Jim Hoey and John Roush. <laughs> wow, they got they got John Roush. They got a closer out of it. So that's actually better than I thought. Who, who, by the way, then they panicked on John Roush and made the Wilson Ramos trade to get Matt Kemp's because they didn't trust John Roush, who they had gotten as part of as part of the big picture of this trade. Wow, that's a that's a very long way of saying. I don't really care if he whiffed on Gomez or not because they whiffed on the entire process so badly. I mean, part of this is the pieces that you spin off, and you know what's really sad. This discussion would be not completely different, but it would be different if they had just stopped at J.J. Hardy. Yes. They got a very serviceable shortstop. And, of course, that is Nishioka, who they think, oh, we've signed the shortstop for our future, and now oh we can trade. And now, and, and in their, I think that this is the right word, in their arrogance of, well, now we can just spin Hardy off. Let's try and do it for a pitcher. Mm, you make yeah. one of the worst trades, probably one of the, what, the ten worst trades yeah. in franchise history. Orioles fans still talk about that trade. As just a big coup. Yeah. Well, he hit 30 bombs, and I get it's a smaller ballpark, and you know, it's just in Target Field, the concrete hadn't settled yet. That's so. right. Yeah, I can't forget about that. Yeah. But, like, concrete. they went one of the one of the biggest advantages Terry Ryan had, or one of the biggest skill sets he had, was selling high on someone and getting value, right? Uh, although David Ortiz would be the glaring, the, the glaring whiff there. But that's so badly whiffed on. That's <laughs> yeah. almost another category. Exception proves that's, right. that's another episode of Rewind, which yeah. we will oh do gosh. at some point. Knoblock Przinsky, though. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah, and the and the Bill Smith era was uh, – the, there was a couple other pitchers that Terry like – Terry Ryan, I think he, he landed Nick Punto for um, Carlos Silva, I want to say. or No, he got both those guys in the same trade for somebody. but From the Phillies, yep. Uh, but Bill Smith's career as general manager was defined by the opposite. Selling low on Delman Young, selling low. Although Terry Ryan might have been Terry Ryan might have been the one that sold low on Delman Young, I guess. So the whole fr- like the whole franchise went from selling high to selling low in like a four or five Santana, year period. But the Santana, the, the entire Santana history of that trade is basically 
one clown car to another mm. to another, right? Because yeah. it, it gets worse and worse the and worse. circumstances make each the of initial, them look successively worse. The initial Mets trade might not be a great trade, but you got some pieces. And sure. then you turn that into a shortstop who was definitely serviceable and a nice player. And then you turn that into Jim Hoey. That, and yes. so it gets worse and worse <laughs> and worse. J.J. Hardy, I'll never forget. I actually, I actually got into an argument. So I covered those Twins teams as a beat writer for three or four years during, during these trade fallouts. And I remember... Bill Smith, we had a good relationship. Bill pulled me into a conference room at Target Field one time, and he was like, "I saw what you wrote about JJ Hardy, and I just like, I just want to explain. Like, I just don't. I feel like you're not being fair. You know, here's why we traded him, and all this stuff is off the record. But it's been ten years, so what the hell? Um, and I just remember before the series started, JJ Hardy was sitting in the dugout in an Orioles uniform, talking to Minnesota reporters for the first time. And the big issue when he was in Minnesota was he had a sore wrist. He had a sprained wrist or just something wasn't firing in his wrist. And that's why his numbers were a little bit worse. And he even missed some time. And uh, and he told the story about how he showed up to Orioles spring training and his wrist still hurt in the spring and he was kind of worried about it. And his quote, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, but his quote was something like, I mean, their training staff just had some different methods that they tried on me, that the Twins never really tried on me, and it was like Mr. Miyagi. Like it just felt, it just felt better, and now that's why I have so many home runs this season. So he he wasn't trying to throw the Twins under the bus, but he said, "Yeah, the what's different is that the Orioles got my wrist to feel better, and they did some different things that the Twins didn't do." And so I I wrote about it, and and it was all like just to go pull it back to Johan Santana. It was just everything was a misstep for four or five years with that front office, and then. The next evolution of it was, and we'll never know about Philip Umber, Kevin Mulvey, Daly Scarra, their pipeline for pitching development had fallen behind the times, and they went like 10 years between developing quality yeah. pitchers, right? It really took until Derek Falvey and Thad Levine well, came aboard to start to turn that around in a lot of ways. Everything that you guys are talking about is how 2011 through 2016 happens. Yes. And it's how a longtime, super respected, like, I would say in those offices, universally respected guy like Terry Ryan, ultimately they just ha- hey, we have to go a different direction. We don't want to. Oh, believe me, we'd rather you were the GM, president, whatever you want to be called for the next 10 years. But it ain't working. 2011-16 is what really, like, you wonder how can it get so bad? The trades you guys are talking about, that's how it can get so bad. It's weird, too, because when this team fell off that cliff, after 2010, at the time, we all said, what the hell just happened? You just moved into Target Field. You're going to be so good. You're supposed to be great. You won in 2010, and now you're this bad? Because that, that team didn't go from being a division champion to, oh, that was a, a little bit of a step back. It went from, hey, here's the cliff. We're going off it, and the car just blew up. Yeah. But now, <laughs> in retrospect, if you go back and look or think about this entire thing, it actually does make perfect sense. And in some ways... I think you could make a pretty coherent case that the Santana trade is sort of the poster child. So like what people did say, mm-hmm. what the hell happened? Look at that trade and look at the missteps, not just in that trade, but in all of the things. And now you, you've sort of got the poster child for, if I need to explain the history of the Twins someday, in 50 years, if somebody asks somebody, hey, yeah, th- these records don't really sync up, that that deal that day is sort of the beginning of here's what happened from from 
uh, the Twins way, right, which is this baseball way that's respected by everybody to a lot of clubs being like, that's how we don't want to do things. That's fascinating. It's fascinating. And you talk about the prospects that would have been involved. I distinctly remember Carlos Gomez not being rated at, by outside publications. So I don't know how the game viewed him necessarily at that time. Carlos Gomez was not the Mets' top prospect at that time. Do you guys remember who was? Because I have the name. Yes, yes. I spent some time on this. This, Fantasy baseball days were coming back uh, to me, Phil. Martinez. Um, Something Martinez. What a pull. Fernando. Fernando Martinez. F-Mart. Good old (laughs) F-Mart was the top prospect in the Mets organization. What a pull. By many many (laughs) uh, outlets that covered that kind of stuff closely at the time. So, like, did they whiff on Carlos Gomez? Back to your question. Between Gomez and F-Mart? No, they got that one right. But as much as Yankees fans would criticize Jacoby Ellsbury for the latter stages of his career, Jacoby Ellsbury at least had one superstar a year. So you throw that guy in in center field at the Metrodome or target field, and things probably are a little bit different around the turn of that decade. Yeah. I don't know how it would have played out, but like I think it's almost an unfair question did they whiff on Gomez because like, well, they there was a lot of whiffing. Going on around that time and around that they train. They whiffed by waiting too long, I think. Yes. That's, that's fair. They yes. just whiffed by not saying Red Sox, Yankees, Mets, go. <laughs> you got 72 hours. Give Seriously. us your best. You guys know the the you talked about fruitful trade trees, and I'm not trying to be long-winded here, but the Delman-Young trade is actually like the stuff of nightmares. If you've never gone back and looked up how that trade turned out for Tampa Bay. Okay, so they trade Delman-Young, one of the top prospects in baseball, to the Twins. Twins give up Matt Garza, Jason Bartlett. There were more pieces going both ways, but that's the trade. Rays go to the World Series, 2008. They don't pay it off, but like, all right, you you just won. Unless Young becomes a star, you just won. Then they trade uh, Garza to the Cubs. Back in that trade to the Rays, Chris Archer. Wow. They get years of Chris Archer, and then you remember they flip Chris Archer (laughs) to Pittsburgh (laughs) for Cy Young candidate Tyler Glass, now an MVP candidate Austin Meadows. The Delman-Young trade is still haunting the Twins to this day. Wow. That's great. Um, Those trees just keep going, too, man. It's really fun to go down that road. I never thought about that. That's fantastic, man. Um, so I had I have two key questions left in our last few minutes. The first one, I think we've done enough. So the, the next one was going to be, uh, was it fair of Terry Ryan to hang Bill Smith out to dry like that by just giving him the keys? And I'm just going to say, yes, it was. Bill should not have been negotiating baseball trades. I will say it's not right that the Twins put their current GM in place to handpick his successor. And if that's what happened with I the agree. Twins yeah. and he said, hey, you've been my right-hand man, you're up. I think that's a misstep by the organization. Terry should have been told two choices. One, if you're burned out and quit, that's fine, but you're not telling us who takes your job, or two, you stay in the job. Yeah. I mean, Bill, and even Bill would admit that you know he's, a, he's an admin guy. He, does, he doesn't have a baseball scouting acumen like a Terry Ryan. So, so final key question, is Johan Santana the greatest pitcher in Twins history? I've got some names just to help you guys sort of stew on this, sort of a well, immediately, a collage of, of names here. Two jump to mind, well, three jump to mind, depending on how you want to frame this up, but Bly Levin, uh, Jim Cott. Camilo Pasquale's Pasquale, in the conversation yeah, for sure. Fascinating one. Um, Frank and, Viola it, yeah, yeah, in the conversation. And it was too short, but like Jack Morris is like, he's always going to be on this list. I mean, I, yeah, it was too short. Here's another thing. Here's another amazing thing, though, okay? Mm-hmm. Burt Bly Levin is to the 1970s and, and 80s what Mike Mussina was to the 90s and the 2000s. Very much. And that he never led the league in the ERA. 
I don't think he ever won a Cy Young award. Burt made Burt made some All Star games, but it was like a small handful. But he pitched forever. But he pitched forever, and he was really good for a long time, and he had a bunch of strikeouts. So I think if you're going to go longevity and counting numbers, it's probably Burt. But I think it's Johan Santana. Here's the interesting dynamic about Burt that I will say. Uh, the, the first part of Burt's career spent here, he was a very good pitcher, but they didn't win, right? If Burt doesn't come back here then for the stay that got him the 87 World Series championship, we think of Burt completely differently. Yeah. And by the way, there is no way on God's green earth that the 28 is hanging up a target field That's then. Right. So here's here's where I think you could make a case for Santana um, above Burt for sure. Again, the burst of greatness was so great, Burt doesn't have that. Yeah, and Bert has Bert has equity also because of the broadcasting career here. So we're just talking baseball greatness. All mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. that's a very small list. Frankie V probably fits that list. Yeah. In I fairness. got another one to throw on Joe Nathan, different yeah. kind of pitcher, but I'm I mean starters. But yeah. yeah, yeah, like he he was. If it's not for Mariano Rivera, we're talking about Joe Nathan from that era as one of the greatest closers of all time. If you want to go off wins above replacement, Brad Radke's in the top three or four organizationally all sure. time. Sure. And then they spent like the next 15 years trying to find the next Brad Radke. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> yeah, in some ways that rubs me the wrong way because it's like, let's just find the next Radke. It's like, no. No, dude. He's, that's not how baseball he's works anymore. Strikeouts, Velo. Yeah. So uh, that, that's Minnesota Sports Rewind Deep What's Dive. What's your response, Phil? Johan. It's Johan. You've got Johan as the best Twins pitcher of all time and, and, and a Hall of Famer. Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's, it's unjust. What, what twin would follow um, in your mind? I'm going to go Johan. Yep. In terms of just like. At their peak, Joe Nathan's a Joe Nathan was the second best closer in baseball for a number what of years. What starter would be right behind him in your or behind him? You think? Probably Burt. I'd probably go Burt. But Camilo Pasquale never saw him pitch, but just the people who did the Patrick Rice's like yep. and his and his peak was like three or four really, really good years. Uh but pro- actually I would probably go uh Johan Viola's peak. Burt's longevity, and then like Camilo Pascal. How is this possible? Burt went to two All Star games. Is that right? According to Baseball that could, Reference, that could be right. That could be right. What wow. years? Uh, Seventy three yep. with the Twinks yep. and uh, eighty five with Cleveland. The year in which he got traded. Uh, split time between the Indians and Twins. In which the Twins gave up super prospect Jay Bell. We couldn't believe it. Again, <laughs> it shows you don't be afraid to trade your prospects. Hey, if, if you <laughs> listeners out there have, I'm ideas, not kidding. If you have ideas for us, whether it's games, trades, moments, if you have ideas for us to do Minnesota Sports Rewind episodes, you want to hear a deep dive into something, uh, send me uh, an email or a tweet at Phil Mackey on Twitter. You can also follow at Jay Zolgad and at Derek Wetmore. On Twitter or email pmackey at scorenorth.com. And please give Minnesota Sports Rewind a five star review and uh, leave a comment on Apple or Spotify. You can also find it on the Score North app. Thank you for listening. Minnesota Sports Rewind.